You're listening to World of Empowerment Radio. Your station for practical spirituality in a changing world. And here are your hosts, Angel Rose and Ahanu. Okay, you're very, very welcome. This is Ahanu here again on the Honest to God series on World of Empowerment Radio. And Angel Rose is right here beside me. And she hasn't been well these last few weeks, but she's much better now. That's right. Uh-huh. It's, I don't know if it's getting used to the different climate or I'm being attacked by the vortexes here or what? Well, now, when you say here, it's important for our listeners to know that you're talking about Oregon. And there's I say a, that? Uh, well, I think the locals say Oregon. Oregon. <laughs> Oregon. Almost like, like an organ with an eye. <laughs> like an organ. But, you know... I, I'm I'm puzzled why we're actually here in a foot of snow when, in fact, your heart is in Clonakilty in Ireland. And I know that for a fact. So, Angel Rose, explain to our listeners what's the attraction about Clonakilty in County Cork in Ireland. Well, I, we'd have to give a tiny bit of a history because last summer we were going around the west coast of Ireland collecting sacred earth waters. Mm-hmm. And we we passed through... Clonakilty, and the energy there was just so beautiful. And of course, there were swans. Yes. Where was that area? It was, yeah, yeah, it wasn't a harbor. lake, was it? In the harbor? Yeah. Beautiful swans, beautiful energy, beautiful. Uh, what I noticed about the town was it was clean. Everything was painted nicely. The That's people, right. The people actually felt like they had pride in where they lived. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to you, now I could live here. Yes, out of all the places, and we've yeah. visited all over Europe, but all over Ireland especially too, and all along the West Coast. And in West Cork, it seemed to appeal to you did. in all kinds of ways. What was that one other town that we liked, that we almost wanted to buy that house that one time? Well, that was closer to Skibbereen. No, it wasn't Skibbereen, no. No, it was the place where we, you know that big, beautiful house that we wanted to buy? That was Clannacilty. No, it wasn't Clannacilty. Yes, no. it was. Was it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, it's right. just outside the town. But anyway, yeah, okay. here here we are in a foot of snow, and we're talking about <laughs> the, the, the the twenty six degrees Fahrenheit. Twenty six degrees Fahrenheit. I don't know what that is in centigrade. It's but cold. It's, huh? it's below freezing. Anyway, that's all you need to know. And our guest today is from Clannacilty, and that's why we bring it up. But before we bring on our guest, we want to talk a little bit about our subject matter today about mental health, and we have found. Angel Rose and our listeners will know that a lot of times over the years, hundreds, if not thousands of people have contacted us about issues that they have, difficulties they have. And they've talked to us about suicide and they've talked to us about depression. And they've, in fact, wasn't it only a few weeks ago we put out a little questionnaire to our mailing list and asked people, you know, what is it that we can help you with most? And the types of questions that they came back with were really ones of struggle with life, difficulties coping, anger issues, depression, sadness, Uh, Family issues. Family issues, relationship stuff, trying to cope with money, rising prices, difficulties general. And uh, but also some of those included were also ones about stuff going on in their head, like hearing voices and not knowing what they're what's going on and 
not knowing what to act on. It's like having the devil and the, and the saint on each shoulder and one saying this thing and the other saying the other thing and not really knowing what. Confusion, in other Lack words. Lack of clarity. Lack of clarity, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and no strong sense of self, a lot of them. Yes. You know, because you don't have clarity. You don't know who you are. They're still asking, what's their purpose? Why are they here? Yes. Yeah, Things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, didn't we do a session when we were in Ireland one year, and this is probably five or six years ago now, I think, in Dublin, and we put out an announcement, an mm. advertisement locally to people to come to a meeting in Dublin. And what we called it was, who am I and why am I here? Mm-hmm. And that was the single biggest response that we've ever had yeah. to any workshop anywhere. Isn't That's that right? True. The room was full. Absolutely packed. And it was, uh, who am I and why am I here? So let's try and get to issues of mental health here. And uh, our guest today is Aaron O'Neill, all the way from Clonakilty in Ireland, speaking to us as we are here in a foot of snow in Oregon. Aaron, good good afternoon to you. Uh, Well, good evening to you guys. I hope you can hear me. Yes, we got you loud and clear. You're very, very welcome. So tell us, Aaron, a little bit about yourself and how you got connected to the mental health uh, issues in in Ireland. Well, my own story, it's a... It's a long story, but I, I can keep it as, as brief as possible, really, mm-hmm. because I could um, speak for hours about it. I actually, people say you could write a book about it, so I have written a book, okay. which will probably be out next year. But I suffered depression and anxiety since I was about seven years old. Um, I had a very, very tough childhood. Um, I had a, it was a very difficult family I grew up in. And my um, my mother made it. My mother and father made it obvious when I was a child that I, I just wasn't wanted right. yes. um, in in the house. I have to even, even though it's two older brothers, so we were just it was just made apparent that you know you aren't wanted, and it really didn't help me at all. And there was a lot of um, the mental abuse and physical abuse. There was not sexual abuse, frankly, but. The mental abuse, I think, was probably the worst, mm-hmm. and it really got through to like the just ne- negative vibes were always getting through to my psyche the whole time. And I was showing signs at the time. I, I, there are only things I look back on now that I'm a counselor, but at the time, um, I used to count how long did it take me to get. You know, there used to be a, um, a patch of grass across from our house, and I'd walk home from school and cross that patch of grass, and I'd count to myself how long did it take me. And what I was actually doing was actually a fantastic coping mechanism, which I didn't realize at the time. I was mm. distracting myself, distracting my brain, because if I could distract myself, it wasn't real. So, yeah, so I, I had a teenage years. It, it, it didn't really get much better. Um, in fact, it got a hell of a lot worse. And finally, I think it was 12, 13, and I went to a doctor and uh, the doctor sent me to see a counselor. At 13 years of age? Uh, yeah, I believe if even 13, I was rather 12, but I was on the cusp of 13. And I, I was sent to a counsellor and one, one of my tormentors, being my father, had to bring me. Right. So I remember, I'll always remember that day going back to my house and having to tell him. Turns out by the time I got home, the doctor, because of the age I was, had already called my house and told him. And everyone was in, you know, my family were around the table in fits of laughter. And it's just one of those images that was, stick with you right it just stuck with me because whatever stigma there is now it's been decreased massively but at the time there was you know it was a stigma a massive stigma around it 
Well, just a second there, Aaron. Yeah, sorry. Just one second. We, there is a little bit of skip in the line. And uh, if it if it does get worse, we will ask you to call back because obviously that long distance there is, is it might be a little bit of an impediment. But we'll keep going for the moment. But what I okay. wanted to ask you about that is who initiated the contact with the doctor? I mean, was it your father? Did he recognize that he was that he was abusing you in some way? Well, actually, what happened was I made an excuse to go and see the doctor. Um, I was pretending that I had a cold. So uh, I made an excuse to go and visit with the doctor because I knew something wasn't right. Okay. So when I did meet with the doctor, I told him, you know, I I told him how, how you know, how I was feeling, that things didn't really feel right, Mm -hmm. um, that something wasn't quite right. Yes. So um, from there, he sent me to to visit with um, the the counsellor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was my father then who had to bring me my first experience with a counsellor and he went in, we went in and the um, counsellor turned to my father and he said well what do you think is wrong with him then right and my dad said uh, he needs a good beating that's what's wrong with him right yes, so yes. The, he asked my father to leave the room and then he turned to me and says there's your, there's your issue there um, and of course, being thinking that, you know, uh, I couldn't betray my father, I defended him, yes. um, leading to an argument with a, with the counsellor and the counsellor um, saying, oh, my doctor, he would never see me again. So, yeah, uh, that was my first. That's really, um, really my, was my first involvement. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. went on. Well, what you're describing there, Aaron. I just wanted to say yeah. what you're describing there is, is 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 traumatic, absolutely devastating. But at the same time, though, I venture to say a lot of people will resonate with it. I know, for example, in my own household, you're describing something very similar in my relationship with my father. And I've heard also over the years, a lot of people describing very, very similar things. So in your experience, did you feel alone as that 12, 13 year old? Did you feel completely isolated or were you, were there other children that felt the same as you? Um, I felt completely isolated. Um, I didn't really, I was kind of known in, in school to be the, the kind of the weirdo. And I suppose um, looking back in it, I suppose I was called that so often I became to, you know, truly believe it that. I was the weirdo and um, I was the kind of guy who had an elder brother who was fascinated with airplanes and we used to go to the airport Mm. and they'd go look at the planes, uh, which bored me, to be honest. And I used to go to arrivals because I loved the expression on people's faces when they saw each other, uh, when people arrived and the way they'd hug and the way they'd embrace each other. It was something which I wasn't used to because in our family, never mind hugging, we weren't allowed to smile. Uh, we weren't allowed to laugh. We weren't allowed to cry. Um, they were all weakness. So um, to me, that was fascinating. And I loved it to see these reactions from people, you know, and it's something that's always interested me. And I suppose it's, it's really no surprise that I kind of followed the path that I did. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now speak to us about that path. Uh, what what moved you along then into, into your teenage years and your young adult years? Well, what happened was I, you know, continued to suffer. Um, I continued to suffer. And then we did, I actually married my wife and it was recorded on um, RTE television here in Ireland. Okay. Uh, for a program called Don't Tell the Bride. 
Tell and us more. That raised a lot of anxiety. <laughs> I knew the. Fi- <laughs> no, um, I you know I don't I, I don't talk about it that often. Uh, I try not to talk about about it that often because it was very very traumatic um, experience and it's something that I don't like to relive the, the actual experience itself. Um, because it's the first time that I had a panic attack was the uh, day before we started filming. Um, and I spent the next couple of or the next three weeks being very sick in and out of doctors and hospitals and mm. with blood pressure. And, you know, nobody could nobody knew what was happening to me. They thought it was an issue with my heart. Mm. And it was only after that then we went after we got married. I noticed the anxiety and these panic attacks. These were a regular thing. However, it wasn't picked up by anyone as being that. No one picked it up. No one knew what it was. Um, I went to see, we worked this out before, and I think it was between specialists and doctors. I think it was 18 or 19 of them that uh, I went to see. Um, I was tested from everything from Lyme's disease to AIDS. Um, They just couldn't tell. Um, I had brain scans. I had all sorts of scans. Nobody knew. Nobody knew what was wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And what happened eventually after the, the, the doctor assumed it to be, um, you know, OK, maybe he had depression as a child. So I was experimented with um, almost 15 different types of antidepressant um, wow. over the course of a couple of years, over the course of three years, four mm-hmm. years, maybe. So I was experimented. But eventually one day I went in with, with actually a cold. And I yeah. went in to see a doctor, and she was a very old-school doctor. And she went in, I sat down, and I said, you know, the usual small talk that you make with doctors, and, uh, you know, the usual, how are you, are you well? No, I am not, or otherwise I wouldn't be here. <laughs> um, but the doctor pointed out that she just looked at me and says, why are, why are you sitting like that? And I said, like what? And she goes, you've got your shoulders up. And I said, do I? And she came, walked, stood up, walked around, and she pressed into my neck. Now, I'm not sure the exact name of it, but it's where the, uh, basically where the shoulder meets the neck, just with the gland running along the, mm-hmm. there. She pressed in, and I screamed with the pain. And she said, um, and I remember the way she put it was ever so eloquently. She said, has anyone ever told you you've got anxiety? Oh. I said, what's that? Right. To me... Anxiety was, you know, when you're you're waiting for a bus or you know, the, the <laughs> yes. bus hasn't come, and you know that was anxiety because that's yeah. that was my mate. You know, that's all I knew anxiety to be. Yes, and yes, uh, yes. she said to me that sometimes, you know, when you've checked everything and the problems, not you know the problems, you don't have anything. We've checked everything. You would, they thought they had meningitis at one stage. They checked absolutely everything. Mm. Um, and they, you know, I was convinced I was dying of something. Something was killing me, and I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. And it turned out it was the thinking about anxiety was the thing that was killing me. Because with anxiety, it's the more you think about it, it's the more it gets you. And that's really the, the nature of the beast. Right. But it took me a long time to realize that. Yeah. I was sent to another counsellor, which was my second experience in my life with a counsellor. And the counsellor, we didn't get on really. I mean, it wasn't for sake of trying. I did try, um, you know, I, and I did very much try. But uh, she was checking her mobile phone and looking out the window 
uh, while I was talking to her. So it, it, you know, it wasn't actually an ideal relationship. Mm-hmm. So I went and I found a another counselor and I went privately, okay. and she really, re- really, really helped. But there was one humongous turning point, one big change that happened to me, and it was about this. It was about three years ago now. It was the uh, what I had was the anxiety had been building and building, and there were still a lot of issues with my family. Um, there still is, mm. and I got up in the morning to go to work, and I literally just fell back on the bed, and then I just crawled up to my wife and I said, "I can't do this," and she says, "Can't do what?" And she says, "I just can't go. I can't do it. I can't get. I can't do any. I can't do any of this." I can't do this is it. I can't go any further than this. Mm. So that le- led to a bit of a breakdown. They call it a nervous breakdown, but I don't think anyone knows what the hell that actually even means. Um, nervous breakdown. So I had a break. I did have a breakdown and I was for the next few weeks. Everything was a bit of a blur. I know there was doctors here. I know I ended up in really strange places and it just all was all so overwhelming. Um, and it was worrying because they say that people who uh, commit suicide aren't, you know, they're not fully aware. Actually, I don't like the phrase commit suicide. People that take their own lives, they're not aware of what it is that they're doing. And um, I think given the places I ended up in, I ended up on the beach um, a few times, and the beach is a a fair few miles from the house. I had no idea how I got there. I had no recollection of being there, except for my wife coming and finding me there. Yes. Um, and then there was one that kind of came to a head. It was Christmas time, and um, I actually ended up out by a lighthouse staring down at the waves below me. Um, Gosh, I got God. home, and the police were at my house, hmm. and they wanted to take me to a psychiatric unit. Um, and it was then I realized, hang on, yeah, what's, yeah. what am I doing? Yes, it, yes. it was just... It was just a, just an epiphany that hang on a sec, what, what's going on here? Why yeah. why am I? Why is this happening to me? It's like I just had a little moment of clarity. You know, I looked and I saw how how, how much I'd upset everyone, but more so what I'd actually become. You know, I'd yeah. become this person living on autopilot. You know, I was out of work a few months, um, and it just came to this, and I said, hang on. I've got to fix this. I have. I need to fix this. Yeah. I can't go on doing tell, this. Tell me this, Aaron. Yeah. How did you find everything else in your life? You know, your relationships, your work, your day to day. Like, was everything affected or was it only, did you feel it was only what was going on in your own head? You know, your own anxiety. Do you understand my question? Um, everything, everything was affected. Everything, right. absolutely right. everything. And every relationship with every single person. Right. Um, my wife, my children, and you know it hurts me so much to say, but where our second child, um, when our second child was born, I didn't really have. I became convinced that the that she didn't like me, mm. which is a ridiculous notion now when I look back and see how much affection she actually had and has now towards me. Right. Um, I, I I became convinced in my head, and nothing anyone was going to say would convince me otherwise. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a self-righteous git at the best of times, but at that stage I would have, you know, I would have dis- disagreed with it. anything you said about me was wrong. Anything you said about anyone else towards me is wrong. Tell me this: 
When you got that, let's call it a diagnosis, just for want of a better word, when, when you got the diagnosis that you were suffering from anxiety, was that in itself some kind of a release for you in the sense that, you know, you were now pigeonholed and that, you know, somebody at least now knew what was wrong and maybe there was a, a solution or an answer to it? Or did it, did it open up a whole new can of worms in, uh, in the whole area of, you know, a, a mental health label? that was put on you okay well there's two answers to that the first answer is yes i did get relief uh because i knew like there was a name for it Mm -hmm. and physically there didn't appear to be anything wrong like the for example the meningitis was because of the stiffness in the neck which was caused by anxiety right um because obviously you tense everything up so that was caused by anxiety but the other side of the coin was it did open a can of worms because there's so little information or knowledge out there about what is anxiety, how does a you know how do you get rid of anxiety, and it was a mystery to me. And I think over the next few months, I learned the biggest possible thing was never never try and self-diagnose yourself or find out things because people don't post good things on uh, on the internet on forums they don't post good things you're only going to hear how bad someone else's life is yes you know yeah. and it's not it doesn't help when you're in that state of mind yeah 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 just hold on one moment there because when you say uh, a good outcome there there is a good outcome that we want to come to and we want to talk about your work in the whole area of mental health and your involvement with let's talk mental health But we do need to take a very, very quick little studio break and stay with us. And let's just quickly remind our listeners that we're speaking with Aaron O'Neill from Let's Talk Mental Health, all the way from Clonakilty in Ireland. So we'll be right back after this break. Years of research, thousands of profound statements, hundreds of sessions, miles of transcripts, months of listening a vast archive of personal power and spiritual awareness awaits you join worldofempowerment.com today a members only website of practical spirituality for your fast changing world worldofempowerment.com and you're very welcome back to our show today with Erin O'Neill from beautiful Clonakilty Ireland so Erin it's quite a Quite a story that you've told us, and I'm sure there's other people who have gone through or are still going through the same sort of thing. So I'm very interested in how you got yourself out of quote-unquote anxiety, and how would you define it these days, and what did you do to get yourself out of it? Well, with the anxiety, I realized there were so many different things out there. So I start looking at the things that I did and I stopped looking at things that, um, you know, other people were telling me to, to, telling me to do. Um, people who hadn't, people who hadn't suffered anxiety were, you know, coming up with sort of solutions as to this is how you get rid of it. I have no idea what's going on with you, but this is it's bound to work um, because they read it in their book somewhere. So I came up with little techniques for myself. Um, I noticed certain things that nighttime was particularly bad time because I would suffer with tinnitus, which is a really loud ringing in the ears. And I would also clench my fists and I would have, um, I ended up with TMJ, which is extreme jaw clenching. 
Now, anybody with anxiety knows at least one or two of these three things. I had three of them. Wow. So I start coming up with techniques as to how to, how can I get rid of these? So I tried out some techniques that didn't work, and then I found something that did. Like, I found something simple. I thought to myself, well, if I place the tip of my tongue where the palate of my mouth meets, where the gum meets with the top teeth, if I place the tip of the tongue there, it's physically impossible for me to clench really hard. I can't do it. Wow. So I made it. I start doing it every day until it became a habit. Yes. And I still do it now every day without thinking about it. And it got rid of it permanently. I've never had it since. Wow. Um, well, now, interestingly, also, Aaron, interestingly, yes. just on that very point alone, Angel Rose has experience of using that similar technique uh, what's it called, Angelos? I remember you telling me about it. Oh, when you close the microcosmic orbit, when you put your tongue on the roof of your mouth, you you make a circuit, an energetic circuit throughout your whole system. Yes, yes. And I have my own experience of it too, I have to tell you, because I was in a, a plane accident many, many years ago in the desert in Egypt and uh, where there was a pressure drop. And uh, like you, I was suffering from tinnitus as a result of the pressure in my ears. And one time, oh, we're talking a good number of years ago now, Deepak Chopra came to Ireland and I sat with him side by side on the couch and, and he gave me a technique. The consultation all in all took about three or four minutes and his solution was for me to do exactly like you described, mm-hmm. touch the tip of my tongue to the roof of my mouth. But I was to say, I was to say this sound as in the sound of M for mother, you know, mmm. And I did that once and immediately the tinnitus went and the ringing in the ears went and I never suffered from it since. But I believe that you stumbled upon a very, very interesting physical technique that Angel Rose calls the micro, what did you call it? Microcosmic orbit. Microcosmic orbit that that obviously was relieving you of the stress. So go ahead and tell us of the other techniques. What I did was uh, for the... Well, at night time, to relieve, I, I realized that to get rid of tinnitus, all I would have to do is to not think about tinnitus. And what I did was start using uh, meditations. And I started with very basic meditation. And um, for me, it distracted my brain. Right. And I realized, hang on a sec, this distracts my brain and it makes this tinnitus go away. So what else can distract them, my brain do? So I start then looking at my shoulders and everyone, every, so many people, nearly everyone actually carries their stress there. Um, so I said, right, what, what can I do here? So I lay down and I start working out. I said, what relieves this? How can I you know, get rid of it? And I worked out a couple of breathing. I didn't work out. I used some very common breathing techniques, which did help. But I also used other techniques like sitting on the ground with my arms, uh, with my legs folded um, and I would pretend that there was a string. I'd let my shoulders drop down as much as possible. I'd breathe as slowly as I possibly could, and I would pretend there was a piece of string just pulling my head back. Just pulling my head back up straight, and it really, really helped, massively, massively helped. But also a very, very popular technique called the, um, a very popular technique called the um, 7-Eleven technique, Whereas you breathe in for seven seconds and out for 11 and you drop your shoulders each time you breathe out 
um, and that was massively, massively beneficial to me. Wow. So I was well on my path to recovery, and then the very big, the biggest thing to come along was um, a guy by the name of Charles Linden, and I discovered that he had a method, and I was thinking, mm, this is probably a scam. I said, this is probably not what it's, you know, saying, you know, I even admitted this. I sp- I've spoken now to Charles and uh, I'll tell you a bit more about that in a sec. But I, I, I thought, this is a scam. This isn't going to work. He had a method and it involved um, a couple of weeks and following his different techniques. He had uses what he calls his nine pillars. And I did that. And ever since I've never had um, a panic attack. Mm. I've never had anything close to a panic attack, and my anxiety is minimal. Crush. Aaron, um, can you repeat I, his name again? Because when you were telling us his name, um, the computer skipped a little bit. Okay, his name is Charles Linden. Linden. L i n d e n. Yeah. Okay. He's developed. You. He's developed a, a, a. He developed a method, and, and it worked for me. And. So when I anyway when I was feeling better when I was better when I you know felt really really good and really really positive, I was thinking you know what I feel I can really help other people here. Okay. And so I start going to support groups, local support groups, and I noticed that nobody was showing up. Okay. Because there is that stigma still. Yes, yes, yes. And I said, okay, well, what else can I do? And I said, hang on a second. I found a conferencing solution that I could use that I would have complete control over. People could just phone in uh, using a free telephone number and a passcode. I could mod- uh, moderate the, the call um, mm-hmm. so I, as the host, could see who's on the call. Mm-hmm. I could dismiss anyone who's, you know, the dogs barking in the background or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I could dismiss them or just – I could mute their line Um and I said, well, this is perfect. Right, so really, I d- the, the, you, you were overcoming the objection of people exposing themselves. You were doing it anonymously, yeah. effectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I was thinking is, you know, my whole thinking behind it was, well, if we could get, firstly, the fact that it was a man setting it up mm-hmm. would would definitely help because when we look at the suicides in Ireland, it's, it's you know, made up, the majority is made up of men. Um, men are the likely, most likely to go and do it, and women are the most likely to threaten it because men don't speak. Right. You know, we just don't like. You know, I mean, I do. Hmm. And I do know that they shut me up most of the time, but I speak. Yeah, the suicide um, rate is off the charts in Ireland now, and indeed in a lot of other countries, it's increasing alarming. It is. Yeah. Uh, it is, and mm. yeah. So we started initially. Um, with and we we had the idea that if we got guest speakers on, you know, this would really help us. This really push us along and get people to talk, mm-hmm. and it did. We were amazed and who wanted to speak to us because people loved the idea that this is anonymous and you know they don't. No one has to say who they are. Like no people can come on. They know that they're secure because they couldn't have got the passcode unless they got it from me. I can see who they are. I have note of everyone's number. Yeah. So I can see, make sure everything is entirely secure. But we've had, you know, we had some massive speakers on. And as we looked at it, then or we started to, to grow. I realized that Northern Ireland has um, the second highest suicide rate in Europe. 
Mm. And I said, okay, well, we need to sort that one out. So we did. We started giving out numbers for Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. And then we moved into the UK. Before we knew it, we were in Belgium, we were in France, we were in Spain, we were in the US. So when you Um, say we, who are you talking about now? Give us the organization. Okay. What it is, is myself, I... I'm the founder of it. Um, I run a, a lot of what we do is through our Facebook page. It's how we give, it's how we communicate to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. However, the majority of it is done behind the scenes mm-hmm. um, because we obviously don't want to, uh, you know, we don't want to expose people's, you know, private information. Mm-hmm. So, but what we are is we're a group made up of myself. I have four administrators one of whose birthday it is today, so happy birthday, Lisa. So we have um, the four of them, and what we do is we constantly monitor. We have, uh, through our website, we have an email we can be contacted at. We have a Facebook page we can be contacted at. Mm-hmm. We have those numbers at which we can be contacted at, and we speak every single week. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we do is the, face, the page is constantly monitored. It's constantly watched. Everyone who comes in, pharmaceutical companies who are trying to get in and to get people's information and they wanted to market, you know, they were researchers from pharmaceutical companies wanted to market. So ever since then now we have really uh, stringent processes about people joining the group. We need to know, you know, we need to know why we first express that your everything you say is completely confidential, but we do need to know why just for safety of themselves and for other people as well. Mm-hmm. No, we do. We avoid triggers on our group page. Um, we avoid triggers. We don't mention, you know, you don't say, if you come along and say something like, you know, we, you would have seekers and then you have people who need the help and you need to differentiate it. So we are doing that and we do that constantly, you know, who's, who genuinely needs the help. So often we'll just check in with people across the group, send them a message, flick them a message between myself and all the administrators. Are you are you okay? Is there anything I can do? Um, you know, just to keep just to touch base with those people and try and convince them on to get onto the calls. Yes, uh, because they, they they don't regret it. anyone who's ever been on one of our calls never ever regrets it. Yes, we have a guy a guy by the name of. Liam Kennedy, and he's probably one of the most inspirational people I've ever ever had the pleasure to know. Um, he does a lot of work for mental health services over in uh, Liverpool, okay. and he helps our group. And he, you know, he's known as the mental health warrior, and it's really what he is. Um, he comes on, he inspires. We get massive amounts of people on our call when we get him on. Uh, he's extremely inspirational, and we love him. We love having him on our calls. Yes, yeah, and it's people like that. People like that that just keep people going, just give people that hope, you know. And Yeah. I want to ask you, Aaron, in terms of the help, I mean, I can understand how when somebody speaks about it, like the very act of speaking and knowing that you're in a safe environment and being able to voice your, your issues and your problems is a huge help. So I don't want it to, uh, what I'm trying to get at is, is that where your help stops or do you then go on to the like the mainstream western medical model and say oh you know i'm referring you to a doctor to take all these anti-depression pills or what what where do people go once they've finished speaking with you on the hotline let's call it they don't go anywhere they stay with us um okay, okay. what we do is we like I'm, I'm myself 
Um, I'm a qualified suicide counsellor, NLP practitioner, mindfulness practitioner, cognitive reorganisation practitioner, um, and general therapist as well. So I don't go people tell people go to the go and get some medication because I know what that's like. Yes. And it's because I know what that's like that I never advise people to take some pills. Um, mm-hmm. There was a study recently done in Ireland where one woman went to 15 doctors in Waterford and she went in and um, into each doctor, 14 out of 15, she was out within 10 minutes with a prescription for several types of medications. <laughs> and only one doctor said to her, maybe you should um, see a counsellor or a therapist. Yes. Or, you know, maybe you should try this and... You know, like I've tried, I, I, I'm always open. And what I do is I try new things. And I try recently, it was a microcurrent treatment I was trying. And I come back then and give my honest feedback to the group about it. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I'll always be bluntly honest with the group, whether, yes. they, whether they like it or not. Well, do you, bluntly honest. do you recommend to them the techniques that you discovered yourself, like the tongue technique yeah, you mentioned, yeah. the meditation, the breathing, and the sitting, and the Seven Eleven technique. Do you remember? Do you recommend those to your to the group? Yeah, I mm-hmm. do. Yeah, mm-hmm. whatever I have taken on board, um, I whatever I take on board, I pass right to the group. Um, I don't keep. I don't keep anything hidden from. I don't keep anything hidden from them. You know, even even if I've had a, a, a you know, a, let's say if I've had a shit day myself. I'll be more than happy to come on and tell the group. But, you know, I had a shit day today. But you know what? Tomorrow's another day. You know, that was that was then and this is now. And who knows what's going to happen in the next minute. Like, you know, I, and I'll put to them the way I deal with a shit day. So they know then that, okay, it's not necessarily that bad. Yes. And yeah. what we're doing is giving that voice a hope. But we don't, like, we're a platform for people to seek help for themselves. Right. But the last thing I would say to someone is go and get some pills um, because that's, nah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Been there, done that, and I'll be bluntly honest with anyone if they ask me. Maybe they work for some people, but no, I I would never advocate them that. Yeah, okay. Now, give us an idea of the format that this would take. Like, is it the case that, you know, like in the uh, Native American Indian system of a talking stick, is it that only one person can talk at a time or is it a, a kind of a, everybody trying to speak at the same time give us an idea of how that okay what we would generally do is this the format of it we do an introduction we do some house rules Mm -hmm. what we would then do is we often i'd say 90 percent of the time we have a speaker so the call usually lasts about an hour and a half so the speaker would speak for about 40 minutes Mm -hmm. and um what we do then is open the lines so people can ask the speaker questions okay now no one knows that who's asking the question so we open them but we do at the start when we're going through the house rules say that when someone is speaking to please just allow them to speak okay and if it is the case that there's multiple people speaking i can mute lines yes i believe what you're what you're doing and what you've created there is an absolutely wonderful service and a fantastic forum for people to find the kind of relief that they're seeking does anybody give you feedback in terms, you know, something that can be measurable in the sense that, uh, you know, I, if it wasn't for you, I'd, I'd be dead now. Or if it wasn't for you, I'd be out on the street. Or do, do people give you some kind of a measure of how effective your program is? Yeah, well, there's a, um, there's, in, I've, obviously I'm in West Cork, but even further west in Cork, there is a place called uh, Lishane's House run by a, an extremely, extremely courageous woman 
called um, Noreen Markfield. She won't mind me mentioning that. No. She her she lost her uh, she lost her husband. He t- took his own life. And I think one of the things that um, she now runs a suicide um, she runs a suicide counselling centre and she takes people in there and she gets you know free uh, free therapists in there free counsellors. We do a bit of work and we donate when we can to her. What she's done, what she did was she came on a call to tell us, you know, about what she does and how it all works. And one of the things that really got me and, you know, it, it brought a tear to my eye because I realized that this thing I had is working. She said, um, I had this group existed three years ago. I think my husband would still be alive. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it is powerful. And we have people in Ireland and we have some some quite famous people who come on our calls and they say people don't realize that you know other people that feel the same way they do mm-hmm. and th- that's really comes back to again why i set it up because yes. people are going oh god you know what 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 if this is wrong with me what if that is wrong with me and i'm saying stop 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 Let's just breathe and yeah. you know just just live in right now and don't worry about the rest well now unfortunately we are coming to the close of our program today and uh, Aaron O'Neill, we want you, and I know our listeners will be, will certainly want the information about how to get in touch with you. So if you can give us the, all those contact details. We will. I'll pass them on to you, no problem at all. Yeah, give them to us on the air, if you don't mind. Yeah, OK. Well, uh, the best way to contact us, and most people will get to us, and the most memorable way would be going to www.letstalkmentalhealth.com. Okay, let's talk. And from there, you will see the various links through to our email, through to our um, our, our Facebook group, through to our Twitter page. You know, everything is there for you to reach out to us. Great. Now, you mentioned that you do have groups. I'll have to just make this the final question, if you could squeeze it in as quickly as you can. You mentioned that you have groups in Belgium and various other European countries. So obviously what you're doing is is capable of being duplicated. Now, our audience is in Europe and throughout the United States. So if somebody wanted to set up something similar, can they do the same thing in any country? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It could be done. Uh, it can be done anywhere. Um, you know, the way I have it, I have about a hundred numbers worldwide that I can give out that will be, you know, completely free. Uh, well, it's free. Um, the sense of toll free, uh, mean toll free in the world of what, what we do means we pay the charge. Um, but yes, it can be done. Um, but we highly recommend that you use something secure. Um, we use a solution called Global Meet, which is extremely secure. But I recommend using something something secure that people know that's safe. They know it's being monitored. Uh, but yes, it can be done and by sharing experiences, good experiences, positive experiences, not this shit that I'm never going to get better and things, you know, are always going to remain the same. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is possible. It is achievable. But anybody can do it. If I can do it, and I'm a lazy person, uh, if I can do it, anyone can do it. You know, I re- really, really live by that. If I can do it, anyone can. And you can get well. You can help others. 
Well, now, that is an absolutely inspiring story. And I am delighted that we connected with you and that you shared this information with our audience, because as I said to, at the outset, it is it's shocking, really, the numbers of people out there that are struggling and suffering in silence on all kinds of issues and not knowing that there is help available. And the type of help you're providing is obviously very, very practical, very clear, very easy and very effective. So it's been a real pleasure to have you on, Aaron. We do quickly apologise to our listeners because the line hasn't been that great. There has been a little bit of skip here and there, but we think that people will get the gist of the message very clearly from you. I agree. This is fantastic, Aaron, and you're providing a lot of help. Thank you very much. Yeah, Mm. thank you for coming on. Yeah. No problem at all. And uh, congratulations on what you guys are doing as well. I've been listening to a lot and watching a lot and yeah it's very very interesting stuff good yeah yeah good well we'll post your contact information on the uh, world of empowerment website as well so people can get you in contact with you there and it goes out to a good good audience as well so again thank you so much and take care of yourself and hopefully the next time we're back in clonakilty in west cork we'll have lunch yeah, Angel Rose yeah. will most certainly be delighted to meet you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Perfect. That's superb. All right. You take okay. care. Thank you. All right. Take care. See you guys. Bye-bye. Bye. You have been listening to Angel Rose and Ahanu on World of Empowerment Radio, your station for practical spirituality in a changing world.